Welcome to The Bill Walton Show, featuring conversations with leaders, entrepreneurs, artists and thinkers. Fresh perspectives on money, culture, politics and human flourishing. Interesting people, interesting things. Welcome to The Bill Walton Show. I'm Bill Walton, and I think all of you living in America probably realized that our ex-president gave a speech on Sunday at the Conservative Action Project, and, and Donald Trump pretty much hinted that uh, he wanted to run for president in 2024, and I wanted to dig into whether I think we think that's a good idea, and if it is, what he might need to do to be successful. Uh, to help me think this through, I brought in uh, the show's brain trust, uh, Frank Wazeter, Rich McFadden, Brian McNichol, and Greg Columbus. And together we're going to figure out, uh, um, figure it out. So let's, uh, I guess the questions I have is Trump came back and he announced that he wasn't going to be starting a third party. Um, he was going to put all his efforts, pour all his efforts through the Republican party. So that's one. He clearly is claiming the mantle of leadership there. Uh, second thing is he hinted strongly that uh, 2024, he might like to be the guy again. And then the third question I want to dig into is, okay, if he wants to do those things, uh, what does he have to change? What does he have to do differently to be successful? And I think there are a couple of things that spring to my mind, but I want to get your guys' input. Uh, Hey, Greg, let's start with you. What do you, what do you think about uh, the first two questions, which is, uh, should he lead the Republican Party? Or, or Brian, you can jump in. Either one of you wants to jump I'll take in. It, should yeah. Take it. Well, I think he is the leader of the Republican Party. That's the way the voters look at him. That's the way the base looks at him. And the base has not gone anywhere, regardless of what happened in November or even what happened in January. So uh, Trump is the leader of the Republican Party. There's no question about it. Ronald McDaniel might have the actual title, but it's Trump. Now, whether he should be the candidate is a different story. If he's not the candidate, he's going to take on the role of kingmaker, which could be helpful to the Republican Party, but it might be a difficult role for him because kingmaker is not front and center all the time. And that's kind of where he naturally gravitates to. I, I, think, if, I think if he's honest with himself, he probably should not be the candidate because his negatives are not going to get any lower, most likely. Those who didn't vote for him, didn't like him, probably are going to take a lot of convincing. Um, if there are some who voted for him in 16, but not 20, they could possibly be won over with some of the kitchen table issues that are already popping up, schools and gas prices and so forth. But Trump's negatives are high. So uh, if there's somebody who can take on Trump's position on the issues, uh, gets pretty edgy with the media, knows how to defend positions, but doesn't come across as, as as obnoxious as the people who don't like him think he is, uh, that might be the better combination. Brian? Uh, um, I agree with most of what you said. Uh, I think it's, it's really hard to tell whether he will be the candidate. There's a lot of stuff that has to happen between then. I also, I watched the speech and I'm not sure you know, you know, it, it, it can be taken that he was hit, that he was hinting that the person would be him who would be the candidate, but it could also be taken that, you know, who will it be, you know, because he was kind of playful with it. Maybe he has some other plan for it that we don't know. Um, I think, you know, spend a little time on your, your third question. I think that the, uh, his campaign was not well organized. I, I, you know, I think that's, you know, the, I guess the campaign manager was, 
demoted and then he got in some weird fight in his driveway with no shirt on and he was obviously drunk and so you know the well and there's also the there, and, there, and there's also rumors he was pulling millions of dollars out of the campaign right and and and, and this was at the height of the campaign this guy's you know how is he sitting at home in florida drinking beer with no shirt on right so uh, you know so you had to wonder you know how effective were they going to be because the thing about it is, is like the people who maintain that, you know, there's nothing wrong with the vote and Biden won legally, you know, they say, you know, the problem with Trump was he did not convert those rally crowds into votes, right? And so I think that's where the, the secret is, should he want to be the guy who runs again? Um, I think, you know, he is clearly the leader of the party. Uh, he will clearly have a hand in determining who it is. And, and Greg said, you know, Finding someone who can be Trump without making his people, many people angry as Trump does. Um, you know, DeSantis looks like probably the closest to that. Well, you know, if you look at the you look at the results of the polls that, at CPAC, Trump personal approval rating was like 97%. Right. Now, this is the base. This is the hardcore that were at that meeting. And people, who, and people, and people agreed with it. Yeah, Ron Paul won the straw poll there a couple of times. People agreed with his policies about ninety-five percent, but only about sixty-five percent thought he should be the candidate. And so there is that delta. That, but the other two who got votes in that, in that, in that venue were uh, Ron DeSantis from Florida and Christy Noem. Right. Both governors, both both governors that led uh, states that resisted the lockdown and did just fine, thank you. And so that's kind of, uh, and, and I, I think you got to con contrast that away to the way Trump handled lockdown, which is, I don't think he handled it very well. Uh, Rich, Frank, you got uh, weigh in? I mean, I think the guys have kind of nailed it. Uh, I, I do think all the people at the rallies voted for Trump. And I think that's the problem because he had the problem getting everybody else to vote for him because he's just brash and, and edgy. Uh, the thing Trump did that was great was he he peeled the, the curtain back so that everybody can see, everybody can see what's behind the curtain now. And that's not, they're not going to be able to cover that back up. So now that he's done that, I think it's time for him to be the kingmaker because he obviously is running the party, uh, whether they want to admit it or not. And I do think DeSantis and Noam or Noam and DeSantis should be the ticket, at least at this point. We got a long ways to go uh, because they did a great job navigating through this thing. Their states are running really well in a really tumultuous time. And I think Trump should really move along and invest his money in fighting big tech and fighting big media. Well, I've met them both. And I think Christy Noam has got a charisma edge. But she's running a tiny state compared to what Ron's done, and what Ron's yeah. done in Florida, given all the all the all the all the arrows pointed at him, was 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 pretty strong. Um, yeah, you know the organization piece is something that I find he'd have to do a lot better because it's still even in the speech on Sunday, it's all about Donald Trump, and always has been. You know, I worked for him in transition, and. He really has always seen this whole operation as kind of like running his family real estate business. You know, he's got the he's got the kids and he's got his deal lawyers and he's got a few other people, but it's always very entrepreneurial day to day to day to day. And I don't think we I mean, there's some arguments about whether there was fraud in the election, 
but I think flat out we got he got outworked and he disdained building an organization that would go into those battleground states and and deal with what we knew was going on, which was the lawyers, the Democrat lawyers were swarming those states to make sure that the rules uh, uh, tilted in that direction. Right. I don't know. I didn't. I didn't see Sunday night uh, anything that suggested he'd learned anything. I think that I think that uh, I did see something that he learned. That was a. And a, a for one thing is. Uh, they wrote a speech for him, and he came pretty close to delivering it. There were a few riffs, but there was a lot more discipline to sticking to that script than he usually shows. And the other thing I think he, you know, he learned is to be, you know, very clear about setting out the arguments. You know, he eviscerated Biden. I mean, of all the things that are in that speech, you go in there and look at it. I mean, he makes a, a compelling case that Biden is a disastrous president which is ultimately going to be the job in four years is to, you know, expose him as a failure. And, you know, Trump had it lined up. He had the facts. He laid, you know, that was a pretty disciplined. But who's going to care? Who's going to care? So the CPAC crowd and the, the, the Trump fans, but the media is not going to cover it. So nobody else is going to ever see it. And, and nobody else is ever going to care. That's, that's why I think we need this DeSantis gnome, gnome DeSantis ticket so that we can get some of that crowd back that we lost because Trump drove who, who, them who away. Cover, who covered his speech at CPAC? I mean, I had to find it online. I got it on the... Uh, I mean, it's online everywhere, but well, I, I but, know, Greg, did you see it on any of the major news networks? Uh, C-SPAN was where I saw it. So uh, I don't know if Fox maybe carried a bit of it. I'm sure the others didn't, although CNN and MSNBC were... Uh, talking, doing fact checks, because I think they're more addicted to Trump than the people who went to CPAC. Well, if you got to count on CPAC, CPAC, C-SPAN for your coverage, you got a problem. <laughs> yeah. yeah but they had 31 million people, which, you know, that's a pretty big crowd it's of people huge. watching a speech from a guy. 31 million counted on, on all, how do they count that up? All, across all the streaming platforms. That doesn't even count C-SPAN, uh, or I guess there were a couple of other over, uh, Newsmax, OAN, and Fox carried some of it. Well, I, I you know, I, I should have said that. I, th I think the guy's great. I find him highly entertaining, but I also think oh, he he's needs, entertaining. And, and I like his policies and I, his vanity doesn't trouble me that much, but it does trouble me that he, 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 had, he may have not learned about building an organization. And the other thing he did was he named names all the people that he felt had betrayed him. Uh, he called them out, Liz Cheney, Mitch, Mitch McConnell. Um, Mike Pence. Mike, did he? Did, <laughs> no, he didn't call out Pence. He didn't call out. No. He, he didn't, didn't, but he didn't call but he out made Pence. It clear but, that if Pence showed up at CPAC, he wasn't coming. He called out the six senators who voted uh, for the impeachment, which, you know, which he should do. And, um, he called it and he called out members of, of Congress, but he did not, he didn't go after Pence. You know, he didn't. Well, I'm afraid, I'm afraid I actually know a lot about the Pence Trump appearance at CPAC dynamic. So I, but I, I, but I can't, I can't tell you because I'm on, the, <laughs> I'm on the ACU board. Uh, but what do you, what did you think about uh, Pence, Pence's non-appearance? Well, I think Mike Pence uh, has decided a couple of things. Number one, I think after January 20th, uh, he's not necessarily going to be 
uh, Donald Trump's greatest defender like he was for four years. I think the reports of uh, his great frustration with what happened on January 6th uh, pretty much reflect where he's at. You see the jobs that he's taken in the private sector, in the think tank world with the Heritage Foundation. I think he's doing some stuff with Young Americans for Freedom. Mike Pence has always been more of a, a policy wonk guy than a, uh, a raw politics guy. And I think that's where he more naturally sees himself. And if you look at the straw polls at CPAC, uh, he barely registered a pulse, even with Trump not on the list. So I think he knows that based on what happened at the end of Trump's term and, and just where the base is right now, that he's not going to be the guy. So I think we've seen Mike Pence on the ballot for the last time. Um, also, you know, he says he talks to Trump twice a week and they have a real good relationship. So, you know, I think, you know, Mike Pence is a party builder is what he really is. And I think he's useful still to Trump and that, you know, that way you're not, you're not attached at the hip to him. You're doing, like you say, young Americans for freedom, heritage, other people that you can talk to that, to move them in that direction. But, uh, well, well, well that's uh, a very interesting idea. Pence understands the party organization and understand what's it needs, what needs to be done in terms of infrastructure. And Trump doesn't, A, doesn't know, B, doesn't really care. And that's just not his temperament. That's not where he wants to spend his time. So, I mean, Pence could be, I, I, although I think Pence doesn't want to play that subordinate role after four years as vice president. Um, Probably yeah. tired. He's like, <laughs> I just want to want to be yeah. out. He's, he wants to be out of the line. He carried he carried an awful lot of water for Donald Trump and deserves uh, deserves our appreciation for that. But yeah, he he left himself, Greg, as you point out, not really viable as as the next guy in line. Uh, the, what do we do about this cancel culture? You know, the one thing that Trump did in 2015, 2016 was he used Twitter masterfully. And Jack Dorsey, is it Jack Dorsey or Jack Dempsey? I get my, his, I, I get, I get my <laughs> boxer confused with my tech guy. <laughs> um, anyway, Jack Dorsey uh, has canceled Donald Trump's Twitter account. Uh, what does he do? What do all the rest of us do if we can't get our message out, if he can't get his message out? I think he's uh, effectively neutered. I mean, the, the you know, Twitter has basically won the presidency since 2008. What do you mean by that? You mean Obama in 2008? Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, I because, you know, Obama's real big thing over McCain originally was that, you know, he was, you know, he would get his message out there. Because, you know, back in 2008, you know, this social media thing, you know, between Facebook, Twitter and all that was not really embraced at the scale it is today. It wasn't in the form that it is today. And, and Obama was kind of the first presidential candidate, probably by hazard of the times that we saw really, you know, uh, to go all in on it. And uh, it was a major, major contributing factor to, to Trump gaining momentum. You know, I mean, he, at one point he had like, what, like about a third of, you know, the population of the United States following him on Twitter. That's huge, huge power. Now that it's been taken away, you know, he's, you know, it's hard to hear anything about him. I don't like, like my feeds have been silent. You know, it's just, it's radio silence, you know, there's not silence going on. So they could be very, very difficult to gain the kind of momentum that you need without it or without an equivalent of that. Um, 
because I think, you know, the, a lot of, a lot of guys probably went with him because he was the guy uh, bringing in the leads, so to speak. And when you bring in the leads, you write the rules and he could write the rules. And without that, I don't know. It's a, it's hard. I mean, the, the networks, the, the MSM cannot quit Trump, right? He's obviously. Oh, he's, he's total crack, crack to them. They, yeah. they can't <laughs> quit him. I'm really worried about him getting his word out. They, 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 now, now, what Frank says has a ha, there's merit to it because, you know, it's their characterization of his word as opposed right. to his word. But someone's going to say, hey, there's 85, 88 million people, whatever it ended up being, you know, who are <laughs> waiting on him to land somewhere. And, you know, someone's going to want those 88 million parlor or whoever on their site. You know, it'll coalesce somewhere and, and the media will not be able That's to. why I say he needs to focus on that now. He needs to get behind Parler and 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 help there become a, because a, there has to be, I mean, you know, we, we watch the government, we, we, we watch them break up the telephone companies because they're too powerful. Well, I mean, when are they going to look at big tech and go, listen, there's just too much power here in a couple of different hands. And we need alternatives for the audience that uh, for the consumer. But 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 but, the, but with the Democrat Congress, they're not going to break up big tech. I mean, they're no, they're they're, they're on the, they're on the same side. They're on the same well, team. Here's the thing about it: they want to be regulated. They, that's what Twitter and Facebook are doing. They are daring the government. They're goading them into regulating them because they regulate them creates barriers to entering for everyone else. Because whatever the rules are going to be, they're the only right. ones who can be afford to able to afford to follow them. Yeah, well, that happened with the financial companies after Dodd Frank, uh, Jamie Dimon, and and Lloyd Blankfein, Goldman Sachs, and more J.P. Morgan uh, bragged about the regulatory moat around their their business model, saying after all these rules got put into place, ain't anybody going to come into our business because they just can't afford exactly. it. Um, so you're saying that's a, well, the, the, the flips of people talk about breaking it up. I, I sort of like the idea of, of not breaking them up, having a real regulation, and then we can watch them at least. It's not, we got three or four big ones that we can, uh, pay attention to, but I don't know. It's, 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 it's a, it's a thorny one. Greg, it's what do you think? I think competition is the better way to go here. Like Rich was talking about either invest and, uh, and try to build up an existing alternative where you know that the minders aren't going to crack down on specific policy positions or political thought uh, the way that uh, Twitter and Facebook and all the others are doing. Uh, because trying to silence others is a lot harder than creating an alternative viewpoint that people can hear in an easily accessible way. So more speech rather than less speech is uh, is, is the way we want to go here. And uh, like, like you said, Bill, you're not going to get what the, the Republicans and a lot of conservatives want. And like Brian said, it's going to be counterproductive anyway. So creating an alternative where people can go and people will know that they can find that content. There well, can, 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 I don't understand the technology. I know, I, I know there's all these servers, billion billions of dollars worth of server investment that the existing major social media companies have got in place. Can Parler build itself to the scale to be a legitimate competitor to uh, Twitter? Um, it, it has found somebody like, I think Russians that will, uh, that will uh, oh, yeah. create servers for them because Amazon and all the other big uh, left-wing tech companies will not serve their data. So they've, I think they've had to go out of the country to get servers, but I, I'm not sure of that. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, once they get servers, then they're back online uh, and they are back online. From what I understand, I tried them the other day and my account did actually open up, but I couldn't see any content. Are you using so, it? Uh -huh. Are you using Parler? I, I have a Parler account and I do follow a lot of our hosts on Parler. Yeah. Uh, Sarah Carter and Dana Lash and all of them obviously use Parler big time. Uh, and they were shut down, but, uh, you know, it's slowly trying to make a comeback, but that's why you need a guy like Trump to come in there and just knock down doors, get some money behind it and build it up so that there is some competition. The one problem I think that you're going to have though, sorry, Frank, is that, uh, when you're on Twitter, at least Twitter, as it existed until recently, you had very different ideas and you could respond and exchange. And it got nasty, of course, pretty quickly on in a lot of those exchanges. But the, the key for the right, whether it's Parler or some other entity is not to make it an echo chamber, but to be able to respond to other ideas and not just have one side constantly being promoted. You have to know what the other side is to have an effective counter argument to it. And so hopefully that'll yeah. be part of it, the bigger it gets, because you're going to get more, more content and more I ideas. Agree. And I agree. And I think, you know, Twitter is very, very left. Um, but the right is on Twitter to combat the ideas and the thoughts that are, that are presented there. Uh, I think you would see the same thing on Parler. I think if Parler grew, you would see the left coming there to pick fights and spoil conversations and cancel it and uh, the conversation. So I, I think that it would grow uh, on both sides and hopefully it would be predominantly right with some left, just like Twitter is predominantly left with some right. Frank, you're a tech guy. What's the what's are there alternatives already starting for uh, to 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 parlor? What, what's out there for uh, conservatives to communicate with each other? Well, um, you know, between Rumble and Parler, I think those are the, the biggest ones that, that come up that I hear about consistently. Uh, the problem with these endeavors is that you you need two components. You need a lot of money because uh, server costs are. Uh, operating on a logarithmic scale, meaning uh, going from, you know, 10 to 20 is, you know, 10 times more difficult than going from one to 10 and, you know, all the way up. Because the more people you have communicating at the same time, you know, just compounds like all this, you know, all, all the demands on the server. Meaning that everybody is uh, consistent, you know, that's when people get, you know, like lag and they get upset and they leave the thing. And then the second most important thing is that you, you need a movement. You need some, some catalyst to drive people out of their comfort zone away from a Facebook or a Twitter or a YouTube or whatever it may be, which Parler had. And then, you know, they kind of got the hammer on it probably because it was getting a little bit too successful in that sense. So on the one hand, you need that kind of extreme niche momentum move that just shifts millions of people all at once, or at least within a very short span of time over to them. But then at the same time, you also got to do what Greg is saying is that you can't be so one-sided that it's just this big echo chamber and it's just one crowd because then you've just kind of capped your market. So it's a, it's a tough ask. I mean, it's certainly possible, but it's, you know, I think you need a lot of you hey, know, big name support. Listen, look at Clubhouse, okay? Clubhouse has been on fire and it just started last summer and it is growing and they, they knew how to market it. Yeah. They, they had an idea and Clubhouse, if, if you're not familiar with it, is 
is voice only, no text, no video. Uh, it, it does not record anything and keep it. It's live. And when it's over, it's over. And it's just conversations about anything and everything. And it is very, very left. And it's very entrepreneurial. Um, it's a cool place. It's a cool site. I get a lot of good podcast information there, a lot of good conversations. Um, but, you know, they built this thing quickly. These people were smart. It's two San Francisco guys. They went out and got some hip hop stars to kind of get behind it and make it popular on Twitter and everything. And then boom, here it is. So if they and, can do that. And Mark Andreessen's uh, funds behind this, isn't it? He, he man, He's one of the kingpins out there. All right, well, I, I want to swing. I want to swing back to. So let's put this on the to-do list to figure out. Maybe the five of us should build it. Um, <laughs> I'll rely on somebody else. You're the guy the, with the checkbook. The billion. Yeah. Well. <laughs> right. I just just parent thing. One of the things that the conservative movement lacks is the billionaires willing to fund that sort of thing. Like you can't. You can name. You can name Bezos. You can name Zuckerberg. You can name yeah. the guys at Google. You can name Bloomberg. You can name. Tom Steyer, on and on, George Soros, of course. Uh, yeah. They're putting hundreds of millions of dollars into, into stuff. And I can't think of anybody in the conservative world that's willing to do a fraction of that. So there's a, there's a mismatch here. Uh, we really are kind of fighting the, against the Redcoats in this regard because we're, you know, we're, we're working with homemade rifles and stuff like that. And they've got, um, you know, howitzers. Uh, anyway, I want to circle back to one thing before we close up here. Donald Trump was naming names. He na called all these people out. Can he can he keep control of the Republican Party while he's also trying to primary Mitch McConnell or Liz Cheney? I mean, is a, is a purification effort a good idea or should he try to build coalitions now? So you, you pick your targets and yeah, there is some some purification is is a positive thing. Uh, Liz Cheney. Uh, Murkowski, you know, he talks a big game about Collins, but I mean, you know, she has a formula that works for her and she's with you most of the time. Um, but, you know, the people who are, who are directly working against you all the time, Mitt Romney, you know, I, I could see them getting targeted and I can see, you know, that builds energy in the party. It's not, you know, you're talking about, there's gotta be a movement that gets people interested. That's your thing that gets people interested. Interesting to see what the dynamic is when some of these seats are up. I mean, Mitch McConnell and Susan Collins just got reelected. Mitch McConnell's going to be 84, I think, when his term is up, and that's assuming he even runs again. Uh, Mitt Romney, I think, is going to be 77 uh, in 2024 when his seat is up. Who knows if he'll want another six years of, of what he's been through. So he's only been through two at this point. So so we'll see. I think uh, watching some of these House races of the, uh, was it the 10 Republicans roughly that, that voted for impeachment, they'll be up sooner, uh, as will Lisa Murkowski in Alaska. I think that's going to be a very interesting primary to watch there, uh, especially as Republicans try to figure out a way to carve out a majority when they have a lot of open seats to defend like Ohio and Pennsylvania, possibly Wisconsin and some others. So uh, it's 2022, especially in the House side, I think is going to be the referendum on, on the people that uh, and how they voted on impeachment and conviction. Okay, let's wind up, uh, wind up with uh, playing risky business. What's 2022 look like? What, uh, what happens in the House? What happens in the Senate? And maybe 
speeding up to something sooner, what happens in Virginia uh, in the governor's race uh, this year of 2021? Virginia, there's some, I don't know about the governor's race, but there's some <laughs> momentum to, to flip the legislature. I think that's where the Republicans are focused and probably rightfully so. They don't really have a great candidate for governor yet. Uh, 2022, the House, uh, there were only about eight or nine seats. That's really where Trump can play a huge role, go on the road for House candidates, hold the big rallies for how, in House races. That's hard for the Democrats to match, no matter who they are. And, uh, you know, that it would not take much to flip the House. Uh, if you come up with a good candidate in Georgia, you flip Warnock, you could, you could flip the Senate. So, you know, Warnock, so Warnock is up in 2022, even though he just won. He's filling a, a he's completing a, set, a, a, a term for someone else. Yeah, that's correct. That was the Johnny Isaacson seat. I think, I think Brian is right about the legislature being the Republicans' best opportunity. Uh, the Democrats did really well in 17 and 19 in, on the House of Delegates side. And so that's going to be their chance. I don't see Virginia as even a purple state statewide anymore. And there's nobody super prominent on their side yet. So the Democratic candidate's going to have to fall on their face. And at this point, it looks like it's going to be Terry McAuliffe, who's been around the block enough times to probably not do that. I know there's a lot of... He's a pit bull. He is, oh, no. he is a pit bull. He's raising money uh, at a record pace. And uh, I haven't <sighs> heard a lot from his... Uh, likely primary opponents like, like Justin Fairfax, the lieutenant governor, who was supposed to be the, <clears throat> the heir apparent until the allegations against him. So uh, I think Republicans will probably take a, a big win if they can get back to the House of Delegates, and that's probably still a big if. As of 2022, uh, Republicans won a lot of House seats in 20 by a very slim margin, so they're going to have to hold all or most of those and pick up some that, that barely got away from them. But I think that's their chance to stave off potential disaster because like I said a moment ago, on the Senate side, they're having to defend so much. They could pick up Georgia with Warnock uh, having to run again. Uh, Arizona, Mark Kelly has to run again. That's still the McCain seat that uh, from, from but, but, 2016. But, but did the Democrat voters really know what they were voting for this last time? I mean, they wouldn't let Biden out of the basement and they didn't campaign <laughs> on any issues. And I've right. got to well, that's why I think I've got I've got about 15, 16 pages of stuff that uh, Biden's announced in the first five, six weeks, the environment, abortion, the borders. I mean, it's radical, radical left stuff. But I don't think most I don't think most of the people that voted for Biden really voted for that. I don't think Biden knows it either. <laughs> well, and that's that's why midterms usually go against the president's party, right? Because yeah, they yeah. Uh, they promise to be this middle of the road, unite the the world kind of guy, and then then they do what the the base and the donors, uh, the most uh, loudest donors, want, and that that's not what they promised, and so there's a backlash. Pretty much every president has seen it, except for Bush in '02 in recent memory. And so there could be some of that, but uh, a lot of the states where uh, there are open Senate seats are states that narrowly, but still went blue in, in 2020. So it's gonna be a big fight for Republicans. And if they lose any Senate seats, especially more than two, uh, they're gonna have to win the House because if there's 53, 54 Democrats and Joe Biden, say goodbye to the filibuster. Well, say goodbye to the 50 states and welcome to the District of Republica, Republi Republica, whatever word they're gonna come up with. District of Columbia as a, as a, as a, my God. 
I'm, I'm, you, you've sent me into a spin. I've depressed Greg. you, Val. You really depressed positive. me. <laughs> <laughs> this is the reason I don't like doing many shows about politics. It's it hasn't happened here. Unhappy it, it place. Hasn't, it hasn't happened yet, and the backlash usually comes. So there you go. It's, and, and, uh, it's and far right from now, certain. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, right now, all a substantial part of the momentum is on our side. Okay. And I stay that way. But you know, there is a lot of sticker shot. There, like you know, they have what eight or nine percent of the voters said. If they'd have known about the Hunter Biden's laptop, they would have voted for Trump. You know, I mean, uh, I you guys are so Trump. happy. You guys are optimists. <laughs> uh, this last election, there was a lot of shady stuff that went on in, in the voting polls, not widespread election, but there was a lot yeah. of shady stuff from state attorney generals and, and county clerks and all this other thing. And as a friend of mine told me the other day, until we figure that out, they're going to win every single time because they control the rules. Uh, and then the other thing is we mentioned the six billionaires that are out there just funding everything. Soros has bought and paid for Virginia lock stock and barrel. And until somebody else comes in with a bigger checkbook, he owns it. Sorry. I fear you're right. Uh, and HR one, have you guys gotten into that? I mean, that basically would, enact a, a, a legislative or a, a, an election process that's identical to 2020 with right. all the with all the bad stuff um, none of the good stuff no voter id no nothing so, uh so that's got and what is the prospect for that passing does that that is that they've voted for it in the house yet it's passed the house okay and it's you know it's dicey in the senate but you know very they just hold the party line they pass yeah, they well, need to they, get to 60. There's no tax issue involved. So they need to get to 60, which I think is unlikely. Yeah. Oh, they do need to go to 60 for that one? You can't pass in the, in, the, in the Senate? Yes. Well, that's the first good news I've heard in the last minute or so. <laughs> You're welcome. Because <laughs> I, I agree with Rich that, and the other pundits that this is, uh, you know, the stuff that went on in the 2020 election was, uh, was, really, was really nasty. Well, well, maybe we should just wrap up. Any, any, anybody got any final thoughts? That uh, any words of wisdom for the week? Well, the the polling, the CPAC poll was fifty five for Trump. It was twenty one for DeSantis. Everyone else was in single digits. Anyone who said DeSantis, first of all, the polls taken in Orlando, so he has a little home field advantage. And second, anybody who's saying they will vote for DeSantis will vote for Trump if he's on the ballot. So you really can say that's. That 55 is actually 70 or better. Okay. Well, guys, thank you. This is really, uh, this is very interesting stuff. Uh, Frank Wasiter, uh, Rich McFadden, Brian McNichol, Greg Columbus. Thanks, guys. And uh, we'll probably come back together the next three or four weeks to, uh, to dig into something else. So thanks for, thanks for uh, joining in. And, and thank you for listening and watching. And we'll uh, talk with you next time. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Want more? Click the subscribe button or head over to thebillwaltonshow.com to choose from over 100 episodes. You can also learn more about our guest on our Interesting People page. And send us your comments. We read everyone and your thoughts help us guide the show. If it's easier for you to listen, check out our podcast page and subscribe there. In return, we'll keep you informed about what's true, what's right, and what's next. Thanks for joining.